Laurie Rose, the two-time winner, takes the lead from Faulkner. That's the way they finish the first lap. It's Schumacher! It's Schumacher! about it, stick it on and send him out. Well, this has blown it for Irvine, blown it for Ferrari. I don't know what's happened. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Joko. Matt is here. We have plenty to discuss about Monaco and something I never thought we would talk about, but flexi wings. We'll save that discussion for the, for the end. But real quick, the... Top five from Monaco, which was, for Monaco, I would say it was interesting. I'm, again, caveat, like big asterisk marks, it was Monaco. For Monaco, it was relatively interesting. So Max Verstappen wins, Carlos Sainz second, Lando third, Sergio Perez fourth, Sebastian Vettel fifth. I did lose the bet, so I do have to tweet out that Valtteri Botas is my favorite driver. Uh, if I don't do that tonight after my upkeep of my lawn uh just feel free to remind me so let's start with qualifying it was kind of kind of your typical monica qualifying which is like the most important qualifying session of the f1 season because track position is so damn important lots of moving pieces at the end and then charles leclerc uh clips the inside wall in the in the last section there and then kind of smashes the the wall right after that so what did you what 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 do you say to the people out there matt that say oh he did it on purpose to ensure that he was on pole let's start with that are you saying he didn't i don't think so oh okay because if so he's he did it he looked at schumacher in 06 and rossberg in 2014 and said you know what watch this like i can do you one better just chuck my car into the wall. No, I mean that type of accident that he's ha- that he had has happened at least five to ten times in the last decade at that specific spot. It's not you not like Schumacher parking his car right before pit entry. You know that that was a right. pretty sus. But this one, it looked like just a racing thing, and you know. I don't know if he was even aware of timing and scoring and whatnot and that he was currently provisional pole. Um, I just, yeah, there would, there would be a lot to go into that if that was some sort of conspiracy. And if they, it, I feel like things like Crashgate and, you know, the McLaren spying scandal and whatnot would be so much harder to do in the world of social media. I mean, they have every fan with a paid subscription can access Ferrari's radio, Leclerc's radio. And I feel like, it would be very hard to get away with something like this nowadays. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think there definitely is uh, no need to put on a tinfoil hat for this one. If you're going to purposely crash in qualifying, you're not going to smash the entire right side of your car. I'm just trying to put a little bit of logic into this because I saw a lot of social media videos with the tinfoil hats proclaiming how Ferrari is up to ferrari again and 
in the end, they were Ferrari again because they didn't check his drive shaft and he did not start the race. I don't really know what to say other than, well, they said, okay, it wasn't the gearbox. That wasn't the actual issue. Okay, good. You, You didn't change that. But if they had changed the gearbox and taken the five place grid penalty, they probably would have seen, you know, a crack or something in the in the drive shaft and been able to check it. But the fact that the drive shaft, you know, one of the main the word drive is in it, which is like pretty important for race cars. I don't know if anybody realizes that. That they it wasn't on their crash checklist, like is mind blowing to me. I don't really have anything to add to that. I uh it's funny, Cody Bray taught me what the word olds mean. Uh, because if you've ever seen New Girl, they talk about <laughs> Or Schmidt always says youths when it comes to young people up to shenanigans. And I don't have a Facebook, but he, he comes into parties like, you should see what the olds are saying on the racing pages on F1 and IndyCar. Uh, so I can oh, imagine. Co- Cody old- and I have a field day uh, <laughs> teaming up on, on on the olds on Facebook. Yeah, I could, see the, I could see the olds thinking that Ferrari was up to their usual tricks. But the Ferrari hasn't done anything super sinister i'm trying to remember last time they did something like really i mean melbourne 19 they pretty much told leclerc to stay behind vettel which was kind of a bad idea but yeah i I don't buy that but i uh, do buy the fact that mercedes had a terrible day on sunday awful hamilton qualified seventh we'll touch on that to an extent later on the episode uh botas was running second I think he was within two seconds of Verstappen, so he's actually going stride for stride with him. So credit to Botas was hanging in there, and then he pitted, and the wheel would not come off, and they basically ground down the wheel nut to the point where they couldn't even get the uh, gun to latch onto it. So then they couldn't get the tire off, so they had to retire the car, which is a very expensive mistake. Now, I don't know if it was user error. I don't know if something happened to the nut. I guess I haven't really looked into it as much. If there was some sort of defect before the car even got to the pit road that caused that or what. But, um, you know, kind of feel for Botas. I mean, I know we don't like him on the show, but that definitely was not anything that was his fault as far as I can tell. So what did you make of my personal opinion is a great day for Formula One because Mercedes was not on the podium, which I think we need more of those. But what did you think of all of that? I agree. Great day for Formula One because it really mixed up the results. Because once Hamilton was starting in seventh place, you knew it was going to be very difficult for him in Monaco unless mayhem occurred to get a podium. So that was pretty cool. And Botas really was the biggest threat to Verstappen at that point. And yeah, no fault of his own. I mean, listen, for today, he is my favorite driver. So I... Still don't feel bad for him, but it's just one of those. I don't. Yeah, you feel you kind of feel for the the pit guy because you you could tell within three or four seconds he knew that that uh, lug nut was not coming off the wheel. I feel bad for vote for Botas because now you're rooting for him. I don't. I wouldn't wish that upon any driver. Oh, I am only <laughs> fair. I am only rooting for him for today, so that's Tuesday. So it really doesn't affect his his race. Yeah, whatever. Well, as if we're not going to be sharing that screenshot forever now to remind you that you're a Botas fan. I guess I didn't really elaborate on Hamilton's. Obviously, he started seventh, but the name of the game Sunday was overcuts and undercuts. 
And from what I understand, the team was telling him to save his tires so he could go for the overcut. But then they had him pit pretty much before everybody he was racing. And then Gasly responded one lap later and still beat him out. So Gasly still came out in front of Hamilton. So Hamilton lost the position to him. Vettel stayed out longer for the overcut past Gasly and Hamilton. And then Perez stayed out even longer for his overcut and passed everybody up to P4. So Vettel, Gasly, and Hamilton. So the great call by Aston Martin. Hamilton was quite distraught on the radio. Something we're not used to seeing. I mean, you know, he has his whingy moments here and there when it comes to the tires are gone, things like that, or, you know, what's Valtteri doing? But I didn't, I don't remember a recent time where he was that upset on the radio. Maybe his penalty last year at Monza was, or Russia or one of those, but that was political in nature, not really the team's fault per se. So what did you make of, you know, his logic on the radio, what was played over the broadcast and what we've learned about his race day strategy since then? Yeah, it was weird because they were saying save, 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 and all of a sudden they were like, "Oh, just come in and pit now." I don't know if Monaco when you're when you're tra- when you're changing a strategy like that, it just doesn't really work. And I I don't want to say I feel bad for Lewis Hamilton because he's won like 800 races and 942 pole positions, but the the strategy did not did not help him at all there. And when you get when you get a you know cut by by Perez and and Vettel and Gasly and somebody else mixed in there you it is frustrating I mean this radio was <laughs> I did enjoy listening to him whine I'm not going to complain or I'm not going to not going to lie but he did kind of get screwed on the strategy front there yeah and like I said it was I just enjoy I mean even the Ferrari dynasty didn't last seven years I mean Schumacher won five in a row and was pretty close to 98 and 99 but it was never it was never this dominant so i i'm i'm ready to see you know i'm happy to see verstappen and rebel taking it to him and i hope we get more parity next year because i think this this may be a topic we touch on next week because it'll be a little slower hopefully uh you know this this could be it for mercedes like this might be the last year of absolute dominance before you know they're maybe back to mid table next year so uh we can touch on that next week but aston martin had a good day stroll finished eighth and vettel finished fifth vettel made q3 too and they really nailed both the strategies because they helped their drivers you know there i don't think there was a single overtake on track after the first lap Someone might need to test me I on think that. You're right. But every overtake was basically outside of the first lap was from overcutting or undercutting. And so if a driver gained position, it was likely a mix of going really good on the overcut and undercut and then nailing the laps when you needed to nail them so you could pass someone on the overcut. So Vettel P5, Stroll P8, great job by them. I don't know if you have anything to comment about that. No, good job. I you want to listen? I'm sure Lawrence is sleeping a little bit easier, and and likewise, Otmar is probably sleeping a little bit easier because he doesn't have to worry about a, a Monday morning call from from Lawrence Stroll. I mean, if you see your phone ring on a Monday morning and 
and it's your boss, like, yeah, okay, it's Monday morning. But when your boss is Lawrence Stroll, like, you wake up in a little bit of a sweat. Yeah, and I want to Google this real quick because I saw an article that came out this week that Lawrence Stroll sold his yacht with Tiffy's dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, so recent media suggests that a recent media post suggests that the largest yacht in the harbor for Monaco Grand Prix is the yacht Faith, which used to belong to Lawrence Stroll, but now belongs to... I don't know his name, first name. Obviously, Latifi. Michael Latifi, the billionaire chairman and CEO of Sofina. Wait, he owns Sofina? Or whatever CEO of Sofina? Does he really? Why did we uh, not know that's this? Wh- I didn't know that either. That's why it's on. Uh, this is all making sense. sense now. <laughs> I like this. This is an ESPN article. It is the largest yacht in the harbor, a 316-foot Leviathan worth an estimated $200 million. A $200 million oh yacht. God. What else could you do with $200 million? Holy smokes. I got to see this thing. The five-story floating palace houses a cinema spa, swimming pool, massage room, steam room, gym, and rumor has it, a snow room. What? In the actual, you know what, is a snow room on a yacht. I don't know, but can we become friends with Latifi? Like, I am all for, I will never make another Latifi joke again if I can see the snow room. Yeah, seriously. Just throwing it out how, there. It makes you wonder how some drivers are getting into Formula One. Next yeah. time I'll be Googling Mazepin's dad's yacht. It's probably some, like, <laughs> 35-foot rib boat or something. Anyways, it it runs on vodka. Yeah, something like that. So anyways, uh, I don't know where I saw that from. I actually, oh, I know what I was doing. I was looking for a picture of Latifi at Monaco. And that was like the first thing that I typed in Latifi Monaco on Google. And that was the first result was his dad buying the yacht from Lawrence. Well, good payday for Lawrence. $200 million sale of a yacht. I, how do you find a buyer for that? Who do, you, who do you contact? Like, hey, I'm selling my $200 million yacht. You interested? Could you imagine that conversation between him and Latifi? Like, hey, you got an extra two hundred million? He's like, yeah, I got billions. And he's like, yeah, all right, I'll buy it. Like, it's probably like much more of a low key conversation than we think because these guys have more money than I could ever imagine. Yeah, I'm just trying to process two hundred million dollars in my head and what that could do for an average person. Everything. Yeah. So and, now that we've gone off the rails, yeah. let's talk about something else that went off the rails: the TV direction. Oh God. The one on-track moment that was exciting was the Vettel coming out of the pits with Gasly. And was that Hamilton sort of behind there as well or somebody else anyway? Hamilton, and you're yeah. about to go, oh, is is Vettel going to get by Gasly? Is Gasly going to hold the position? Nope. Let's put up a picture of Lance Stroll. And even, you know it's bad when the TV guys are like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. I like that it's getting the meme treatment too. It's got the I. Uh, oh yes. I guess by the time this episode, so is this episode coming out on Thursday or Friday? One, one of those, yeah. Okay, I have a uh, a similar meme for our racing league that I've I've made that I'm going to publish probably tomorrow Wednesday. Okay. So if you haven't seen it by now, <laughs> I have also given it the meme treatment. Uh, I just thought it was hilarious. I I couldn't believe it. I was obviously very frustrated at the time, but now looking back on it, it's kind of funny. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know what they were doing. And people, it wasn't Sky Sports' fault. I just want to clarify that. Formula One, FOM is the one who produces the broadcast, and then they give the rights yeah. to people like Sky and uh, you know, other distributors, depending on what country you're in. So it wasn't Sky Sports clicking the button. It's FOM at every race since 2004 that clicks the button. So uh, please direct your angry t- tweets not at Sky. Just remember that for the future. <laughs> Yeah, and before we recap our predictions, shout out to Carlos Sainz got a, po- a podium for Ferrari. So like kind of salvage Ferrari weekend. I I'm I'm not going to give them a a total pass for the weekend because if they just fixed Leclerc's car, they could have had at least maybe two top two top 10 cars, let's say, you know, take a grid penalty for Leclerc and finish. I mean, even if he takes a 10 crazy 10 place grid penalty and he starts 11th. He probably makes up at least one spot in the 10th on a pitch strategy call because Ferrari sign strategy was great. The whole race, he was kind of gaining on Verstappen there for the first half of the second stint of the race. And then, and then faded a little bit, but yeah, good to see Carlos in, in P2 there and prediction time. So I'll, I'll take the first two, Matt, and then, then you can take the second two. Good predictions. We we took we both took McLaren drivers in this one. You took the wrong one. Daniel Ricardo had a, a dismal weekend. And I listen, it's not something I like to see because I I, I genuinely do like Ricardo, but uh, Lando got the podium, so uh I'll give myself the proverbial pat on the back on this one. Your bad prediction is was Leclerc, so you got saved by his intentional accident and qualifying. Yeah, I mean, I knew that guy. He's just <laughs> snake bitten there for some reason. You could see it in his first two results. Like first one was brake failure, and second one was something that put him in the back, and then he just became a bonehead. So I don't know. I don't know why. I hope he can turn it around next year. And Ricardo, there's nothing worse than getting laughed by your teammate. That it has to be the ultimate middle finger in, in F one racing is getting lapped by your teammate. That that's how you know things are really bad. Before we get to before you bring up the last two predictions, social media keyboard warriors really had a field day when Lando did a little wave to Ricardo, like thanks for letting me by and not making it like a pain in the butt. And people were like, He's flipping Daniel off. How disrespectful. Like, guys, stop looking for controversy. He waved as a sign of respect because teammates can't talk to each other during the race was this the old it was the olds and no actually it was the youths it, it was, was the youths? youths on twitter and yeah it was the youths <laughs> i hope this doesn't become a thing now yeah, dark same. horse top 10 i had stroll p8 i'll give myself that well one done. you had russell p14 it, it's okay to be wrong nope and then yeah Q3 or Q3, I put Q3. Q1. Who got eliminated in Q1 with Haas and Williams? Your prediction was Vettel, who actually made Q3. Okay. And then I had Raikkonen, who barely got through to Q2. So pretty bummed about that. Who was it? It was Sonoda and Alonzo were the. Because Russell got out. So there was Sonoda and Alonzo got eliminated in Q1. This Sonoda thing is uh, it's trending down. Not looking, uh, yeah, not, and not has not looked good since Bahrain. Before we move on, how about uh, 
Hats off to Antonio Giovinazzi. Qualified 10th, finished 10th. 9th or 10th, I think. 10th, I think. Yeah, yeah. Either way, makes it into Q3. I don't think it's his first time ever, but I mean, it doesn't happen very often. He you know, doesn't make it to Q2 all that often. So he had a mega drive uh, in qualifying and then held it together during the race. So really good to see somebody who we've, said some critical things of when he's made some boneheaded errors in the past. And I am very happy that he succeeded this weekend. Yeah. I've been team geo all year. I think he's, uh, he's been good and it's a mix of it. Maybe time for Raikkonen to find a new hobby. Uh, anyways, yes. who was your driver of the day? Driver of the day. I, it's hard because nobody really moved positions all that much. <laughs> I'll give it to Sebastian Vettel. And I, I mean, it was more of the strategy, but it was his best result of the year, I think. And he didn't make any Vettel-like errors. So I'm going to give it to Vettel. You should try saying that again with more positivity and upbeatness. There's only so much positivity you can say about Monaco. And listen, I am not one of the olds who says that Monaco needs to be removed from the F1 calendar. I actually, you know what? We're going to go totally off topic here for a second. I saw today the most ridiculous Monaco suggestion ever. It was change no more race at Monaco, but instead everybody gets to run for six minutes and it's almost like a length time attack. Like if you complete in six minutes, like nine laps around Monaco, and the next guy completes 10 laps around Monaco, that guy wins. And this was a serious discussion on a Facebook F1 thread. Old. I'm just going to leave it at that. It was the, it was like, it's one of those things where you have to like go off social media for like hours afterwards to like mentally recover from what you just read. <laughs> but who was your driver of the day? Uh, I don't know. I can follow that up. I'll give it to signs. I think I I think I was most bummed about the Leclerc accident because I really wanted to see how things would have played out. And obviously, every driver is going to throw their hands in the air and go, ugh, like that was going to be my pole lap because he, Botas, and Verstappen all just were dejected after Leclerc crashed. They all seemed to think that they were going to get pulled, but I really wanted to see who actually would have done it. So, uh, But he did uh, qualified great, held his position, and brought some decent homes decent points home for Ferrari. So that was a, a good effort by him. Who was your uh, disappointment of the weekend? Disappointment of the weekend, Daniel Ricardo. You expect a McLaren to at least qualify in the top 10. And okay. So he qualifies outside the top 10, or, you know, make up a few positions and he had no pace all Sunday. So I'm giving it to Ricardo. I thought you were going to say Alonzo because that was my first choice, but I really wanted to give it to Leclerc because this whole what does Ferrari do, what does Ferrari not do, should they do this, should they do that, is he going to make the grid, is he going to start P1, do we need to rethink the qualifying rule, all of that wouldn't have happened had he just not crashed. So at the end of the day, he does have to take some ownership for not starting on Sunday because ultimately it was his mistake that put him in this compromising position. So. That is what I'm going to do there with my disappointment today. Uh, moving on, on a sad note, Max Mosley, who was the former president of, I believe, the FIS and FIA, uh, passed away yesterday, Monday, from cancer at the age of 81. Obviously, he had a very tumultuous 
kind of back half of his life in the limelight uh, with a lot of allegations and tabloid stories coming out towards the end of his career with Formula One. But we can't ignore the fact that he was a pioneer of safety. He was a team owner. He was a driver. And he was ingratiated in the paddock and really helped steer Formula One and the FIA into kind of what we see nowadays. So thinking of him, his family during this difficult time, obviously he's one of those figures that, again, is, is very prominent when you're going through like the modern history of Formula One. Yeah, sad to see. And like I saw a couple of tributes that came out that were very touching and hopefully his family is okay, hanging in there. But speaking of potential rule changes after Leclerc's qualifying accident, which he still got the pole for a lot of us. Hi listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from evergreen podcasts and sound talent media called pit lane parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. Who are IndyCar fans recognize the fact that when something like this happens in IndyCar, a driver is often penalized his fastest lap or fastest two laps, depending on the degree of a a red flag or a local yellow or, or what have you. So now the FIA is looking into something like this. Roman Grosjean spoke out at some point over the weekend. I don't remember exactly when and said, listen, the IndyCar rule is super tough, but, but I like it. I like why it's there. So I would be for it too. So Matt, what do you think is, is it time for F1 to change its qualifying rules in situations like this? It would certainly help. I think uh, sometimes an IndyCar can be quite harsh and really impact someone's weekend. But at the end of the day, I think it incentivizes people not to just kind of full send and make a mistake whenever they want. So I I would be in favor of it, and I think it would help avoid some of these controversial Monaco qualifying sessions that that we've seen in the last 20 years because – like some of them could have been avoidable. And I like Grosjean's opinion because having done both, I feel like his opinion carries a lot of weight. Uh, some guy we've never heard of is running for FIA president. Graham Stoker. Do you got any thoughts, comments? So I, remind me again, I think Jean, Jean Todd is stepping down come this next cycle and they're yeah. doing an election in December. Uh, I, uh, 
how does one prepare like campaign for FIA president? Like, do you just tell everybody what you're going to do and how you're going to make everything better compared to the guy who's running it right now? Or? You have a lot of money and you start bribing all of the all of the people you need to bribe. No, this is the you know, FIA. In all seriousness, I have no idea. This is FIA. This isn't FIFA. I know it's not FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> How else, the does the world, confused. how else does the World Cup end up in Qatar? Yeah, we could go on a long time about that one. And I'm <laughs> not even straight, a big soccer fan, and I don't understand that one. That's straight bribery. Yeah, I mean, we'll keep our eyes on it. And I think there's only one other person at the moment who's running in opposition to him. Uh, but I think he's the deputy president right now. So obviously he kind of makes a natural successor if elected. So we'll keep our eyes on that. But I just wanted to let you guys know. Mike had mentioned flexi wings, and I am warning you all now, this is about to be somewhat of a big deal in Formula One. Mercedes is preparing a protest for the wings used by Red Bull at the next venue, which is Baku. So they're going to launch a protest apparently soon, within the next two weeks. And mechanical engineering, aerodynamics, general engineering. These are not my fortes, but I did try to read up on what is going on here because I keep seeing tweets about it, articles about flexi wings, flexi wings. Uh, both Alfa Romeo's team principal and McLaren's team principal have come out this week slamming the FIA and Formula One for their handling of this flexi wing thing. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on here, so I got to read about it. So basically what happens is that front wings, rear wings, any sort of aerodynamic piece, they all do flex at certain velocities when you're driving fast. And there are rules in place to prevent wings from flexing too much because if you're a car and you need to get around a corner, you're going to need downforce. But if you put the pedal to the metal on the straightaway, the wings can flex, reducing drag, which makes the car go faster which is obviously great news if you need the handling in a corner and then you can come out of a corner and then all of a sudden have less drag. But as soon as you apply the brakes, you're going to get that downforce back. But the compromise there is twofold. And one is the parts could become weaker in an accident. So they're not as sturdy. And the second is that if there is less drag, the driver is more likely to lose control and at a higher speed and cause a massive accident. So I think the nature here is safety, but competitors are under the impression that Red Bull's wings are flexing more. And that is why Mercedes wants to protest because it feels like it's without, it's outside of the parameters that the FIA has set forth. Do you got me so far, Mike? Am I making sense? All good so far. I get it. Makes sense. Okay. I actually understand what you're saying, which is nice. Pretty random. Just get a beer in me and you won't. So anyways, McLaren's big thing is that they are upset because they feel like it's almost like Ferrari's engine in 2019. I feel like everybody knew that engine was illegal, but it wasn't until about Coda that they really clamped down on it. This is a kind of a similar situation where they everybody kind of feels like Red Bull's wings are illegal at the moment. But they're not going to really rule on it until a test before the French Grand Prix. And I think another reason the teams are upset is because the teams are the ones that are having to foot the bill for said test. And this in this new age of uh, cost savings and a salary cap for their whole season, if they don't have the money budgeted for it, how do they pay for this test? 
So, Mike, is this gonna is this issue gonna go away? And what do you think is going to happen to Red Bull? Are they gonna be happy or mad? Well, they're gonna be mad because this is politics, and Christian Horner and Toto Wolf and Co. all play the political game every year, year in and year out. So. Everybody's going to be mad for a different reason. I'm really curious about the budget thing. Like, if this test costs the team money, like, does it count? Like, do they say, you know what, this doesn't count as part of the budget? And obviously, we don't know that and won't know that, and probably until closer to the French Grand Prix, which is what a month away, give or give or take, something three like weeks, a month, something like that. Uh, but. I don't know if Red Bull is in trouble because you know watching on a TV, it's very hard to tell if the wing is flexing more than it should. So I'm not going to pretend I'm an, an expert and can and can tell. But I, man, this is not something that's going away. This e- even if there's a ruling, say whatever the race is after the French Grand Prix, there will be an appeal and an appeal and an appeal. And I hope Netflix has their cameras ready like they did for the Racing Point, which is now Aston Martin stuff last year. The so yeah, that's uh, that's. I mean, it's it's tough to have too much of an opinion on on something like this at, at this point. But I am very curious to follow along with it and, and see what comes of it. I doesn't. I, I don't know. You know, listen, you could ask the Red Bull and they say, well, we're fine. And other teams will say, well, no, they're not. And, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, but it's it's another game of politics. Yeah, not the first and won't be the last. And yeah, I'm curious to see what the test results find, because I I love the. I think my favorite thing about all of this was Omar coming out and saying, Hey, had we known about what Red Bull's doing, we would have done that too. We could be half second lap of faster. It's like I feel like anytime there's a protest, Aston Martin kind of jumps on and be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We would have been faster if we would have done that too." It's like, okay, we get it. You guys are slow. <laughs> like, good lord. <sighs> Anyways, all right, a little bit of uh, Lewis Hamilton to get to now before we end the episode. So, Sir Lewis Hamilton, I don't know which one we want to start with. Let's start with the. I don't know if we throw him in. Just make him one. Well, we don't. I don't know if we want to throw him into the olds category, but he thinks that something needs to change about the Monaco race for fan enjoyment. Now, he didn't suggest layouts changes. He didn't suggest mandatory two stops so that we can't just see everybody doing a one stop, anything like that. But he did suggest that something needs to change, and at the risk of agreeing with him i do agree with him a little bit i mean that race is boring i don't think anybody i mean it's i like you said there was a lot that came out of it when we talked about the beginning episode i definitely say it was intriguing i think it was cool to see different strategies play out and things like that but this car this chassis it doesn't work at monaco it's too wide it's too big and you can't there's too much dirty air to close up on somebody so Ultimately, I think the solution is what they're doing next year, so switching to a new car. So hopefully that helps a tad bit. Maybe we'll see an overtake or two next year, like a genuine overtake, because we have seen overtakes in Monaco before. It's just been much more difficult since 2017 with these new cars. What do you think about what Hamilton said? I mean, he's not wrong. The F1 cars are so gigantic now. It does make passing 
at an already extremely tight track harder, but I don't know what you can really do. You can't widen city streets in Monaco to... I just don't think there's a lot that you, you can do. Monaco has... I mean, it hasn't always been this processional, but it's always been... It's, it's, it's always essentially been this way since it's been around. Monaco's never been a passing left and right sort of race and i think we just kind of need to accept that and the olds and the youths that are complaining about it just need to deal with it and and understand monaco is not going anywhere sure is and then lastly hamilton obviously was very critical on the radio to the team in the race but it seemed like there was plenty of friction growing throughout the race weekend in practice and qualifying. And apparently Mercedes brought some sort of update to the car that made no difference. And at the risk of pulling a Sonoda and publicly calling out his team, he was very insistent that he was frustrated and there's some things the team did well and some things the team needed to work on. But he said, ultimately we'll have these critical discussions behind closed doors. Now, you could look at this one of two ways, so I'll ask your opinion. Do you respect for the way that Hamilton is approaching it and doing it behind closed doors and wanting to push himself and the team to be the best they could possibly be, or do you kind of chuckle because he's won five of the last six drivers' championships and that he should just be thankful for their mere existence? Can I say both? Sure. Okay, so now that we've cleared that up, I yes, this is not something that needs to be talked about throughout the media or social media or Twitter live or TikTok live or whatever. This is definitely something that you know needs to be kept within the team. That being said, Lewis needs to chill. It's one race and he's only what four or five points back in the in the championship. Still with a good shot to win it. You can you can never you can't count him out this year. He's won five out of the last six. Uh, you know, probably what seventy percent of the overall races, sixty percent of the overall races in that time frame, and he's won every constructors championship that since then. So, at the same time, while I appreciate the fact that he kept it within the team, I think he also does need to just take a little bit of a chill pill. If George Russell came out and said, like, you know, like, if he gave, like, a public dressing down of Williams, he'd be like, okay, the dude's driven for Williams for three <laughs> years now. They haven't scored a point. Like, he's kind of got a kind of got a point if he's out here, like, criticizing them. But if we're looking at since 2014, I'm kind of looking at the scores here. So, so he won last year, even despite not starting all of the races. He started, he missed the one because of COVID. He won last year's title by 124 points. Right. In 2019, he won by 87. In 2018, he won by 88. In 2017, he won by 46. He lost 2016 to Rosberg by 5. And we know how dramatic and action-packed and tense those two were that year. In 2015, he won by 59. And in 2014, he won by 67. So I think the lowest one I said in there, other than his loss, was what, 50-something? And yeah. 
I think what we're seeing, because this is the first time Red Bull has led the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors' Championship since 2013 when Vettel won at Brazil. And he went on his crazy run. But then that was the that was kind of the end of the Red Bull domination era. Um, and then Mercedes took over from there. This is Max Verstappen's first time leading the Drivers' Championship. I think what we might be seeing is Hamilton starting to feel the pressure of somebody not named Nico Rosberg actually starting to take it to him in the championship. Because this, like I just read through, this isn't something that's normal for Hamilton. He's usually used to having at least a two to three race cushion in the championship. Where it's like, if you go to Monaco, mess up, whatever, you know, we'll just win the next five races. He can't say that right now. So I genuinely feel like the pressure is starting to mount a Mercedes and Hamilton to get this right because Verstappen and Red Bull don't look like they're going, unless this flexi wing thing really destroys Red Bull chances. doesn't look like they're going away anytime soon. So he really needs to, uh, they can't have too many weekends like this because that could be detrimental. I do love seeing Lewis sweat a little bit under the pressure, uh, under pressure and, a lot of F1 fans who might be newer to the sport because of something like Drive to Survive or just kind of, you know, the rise in popularity on social media have never seen anything other than Lewis Hamilton win by 100 points every year. So it's got to be super exciting from a fan perspective this year. I know from our perspective, it definitely is too. And Hamilton, this is the most pressure he's had since Rosberg and, and Rosberg was his teammate. So this is the most outside pressure in a championship run he's had since, I guess when he was with McLaren. Well, so one of those ago, was Vettel. Whatever that was. One of those was Vettel that I read that he was like Vettel. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Vettel was a primary protagonist one year. Must've been seven. Hang on. I'll get you that answer in a second. How oh, I don't want you to like you on Facebook. Get out of your racing reference. Vettel in 2017 was 46 points back. So, and he won, they had the same number of podiums that year, 13, but Hamilton had four more wins. So there again, it's kind of like, I mean, under pressure for sure, but I wouldn't say it was ever like a massive in jeopardy moment kind of thing. No, not like, not like this. So yeah, I'm my, I am excited to see how the, title fight plays out and and i hope we see a little bit more of lewis hamilton kind of swearing on the radio that he's frustrated because things aren't going his way i i always like when that happens just because it it shows that he is human and and i i like that side of racing when when guys are starting to, to sweat it after being so lucky for so long so i think that about wraps it up this week guys We'll be back next week to talk the future of F1 and flexi wings. And maybe we'll have story time because there's a fake William story infiltrating my, my, my email. If you did not see on social media who I did figure out who it was, by the way, and it is actually nobody in racing. So it's just a friend of mine. That being said, it's a lot of fun. We're going to keep fake William story emails coming in because it entertains me. The Indy 500 is this weekend, so watch it. If you don't normally watch it, you should watch it anyway. And have a lovely weekend. Today's podcast was presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get 
when you include an ad from Podgo. If you're a podcaster, you can apply too immediately and get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Go to podgo.co at podgo.co and let them know that we sent you there. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos! 